1: I'm Brian
2: Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is
1: 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street looking to close the books on another volatile week of trading. Futures right now are calm. President Biden is in Europe for an emergency meeting as world leaders look to put a stop to Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Breaking news in just the last few minutes, President Biden and his European counterparts striking a deal on getting more natural gas over to Europe. It's just one of many topics we'll discuss with Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry. He'll join us at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time. Big tech, bigger regulation. Is the EU getting ready to roll out details on plans to rein in some well-known companies and it's Friday, so you know what that means. It means our exclusive weekly report on insider buying, five well known names making some big time bets. It is March 25th, 2022, when you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, happy Friday. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning on Worldwide Exchange. Let's get right to the markets. Because futures are trying to close out a very volatile week. And right now, we are seeing some calmer moves in the equity side of things. You can see right now the Dow Jones implied lower by just about three points. We're going to call it relatively flat. The S&P 500 down about five points. And calmness in the Nasdaq trade as well implied lower by roughly 38 points. Treasury yields, also a huge focus in the last couple of weeks here. We are seeing a slight tick higher, a very slight tick higher in the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield to just below 2.35 percent. The two-year note yield, just a hair above 2.14 percent. And the 30-year long bond, just about 2.5 percent right now. Oil prices, very much a focus, not just for consumers, but traders around the world. WTI U.S. benchmark crude $109.50 down roughly 2.5%. World Benchmark ICE Brent crude Futures, $116.16, just down about 2.5% as well. We'll have much more on that energy story in the next half hour with Goldman Sachs' global, global Head of Commodity Research, Jeff Curry. He will be our special guest in that half hour. A big rally in semiconductor stocks yesterday. This sector has been hit hard this year. NVIDIA really led the way yesterday. You can kind of see climbing nearly 10%. Intel popped around 7% as well. So the mega cap names are really doing some of the heavy lifting. But that overall trade year to date is still down about 10% for the industry overall. A check on cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin creeps steadily higher a little bit, but it's pulling back slightly today. Bitcoin right now just a hair below $44,000, $43,941, the last trade there, down about two tenths of 1%. Ether prices up about a quarter percent, $3,123, the last trade there. Let's now go worldwide. Global stocks are set for their first consecutive weekly gains of the year, but a rough session in Hong Kong as Chinese technology stocks tumbled again on continued uncertainty about U.S. possible delistings. Check out Alibaba, check out Tencent, JD.com, Meituan, all dropping in today's trade. Europe's trading session is just really getting started for the day here. You can kind of see there the German DAX is just about flat on the day. Same with the CAC in France. The FTSE 100 in the U.K. down about one quarter of one percent. And then fractional gains for the FTSE MIB in Italy and the IVEX 35 in Spain. Now to the latest on President Biden's trip to Europe as he meets with world leaders in an attempt to stop that war in Ukraine. Our own Kayla Tausche joins us now with the latest there. Good morning, Kayla.
3: Good morning, Don. We are waiting for President Biden to be making some remarks. He will then head to Poland to see the refugee crisis there firsthand after a trio of emergency summits here in Brussels yesterday to craft a response to Russia's war in Ukraine uh, and to further isolate the Russian economy. As part of that effort, the U.S. announcing this morning that it is pledging to deliver an additional 15 billion cubic meters of natural gas this year with more increases going forward. Just for some context, that total is about a third of the natural gas the EU currently gets from Russia. The European Commission will also aim to fast track regulatory approvals for terminals to receive the gas shipments. President Biden just met with the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, to discuss exactly this issue. And we are expecting both of those leaders to make remarks momentarily. Uh, certainly yesterday, there was a lot of news for President Biden in Brussels at a press conference. He called for Russia to be ejected from the G20. He said that NATO would respond if Russia chose to use chemical weapons, and he suggested that Western allies would keep sanctions in place for more than a year if needed, in order to get President Putin to reverse course. The G7 is also cutting off access to Russia's gold reserves for fear Putin would use that to prop up the ruble and further fund the war. And I believe, Dom, that the president is beginning to speak right now. We'll bring you those comments later.
1: All right. We are keeping a close eye on things. Again, President Biden getting ready to speak about just what Kayla spoke about right now. and just the next few moments, we'll bring you those comments live as they happen here. Let's talk about how all of this is impacting the broader markets overall. Joining us now is Matt Maley. He's the chief market strategist at Miller Tabak. Uh, Matt, this is, has been a very volatile week overall. I wonder if there's been anything that you've seen develop over the course of the last couple of weeks that makes you feel confident either that the market could be set up for a bounce continuing into the next week, or whether or not this is just a head fake and that we're due for more declines in the weeks ahead.
2: Hi, Dom. I, yeah, I, I'm worried about the, what, what we face going forward here. I mean, we, the thing is, the situation is, you know, the stock market is basically sitting at the same level it was two months ago, this time in, in January. And yet most, basically all of the headwinds that we were facing back then are worse. We have higher oil prices, higher interest rates, you know, higher inflation, which they all come together. Uh, We have supply chain issues are worse than they were before. Uh, GDP growth estimates have come down, etc. And, you know, the stock market was expensive back then. It's still expensive. We're about 20 times earnings. It just makes it tough for the stock market to really rally a lot more, uh, you know, from here. I mean, we do have the end of the quarter coming up. So maybe the market can hold up a a little bit longer. Uh, But I do think uh, uh, we're going to face some more headwinds as we move into the month of April. How important is the interest rate narrative
1: to, to, to what you're seeing right now? Uh, there was a time m- maybe just several months ago, five, six months ago, when we talked about interest rates being the real headwind for trade, in, especially in technology stocks. It doesn't seem to be that way right now. I- is there a disconnect? Do you still worry that the interest rate trajectory is going to be more aggressive to the upside than, than maybe some people think?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the Fed came out. I mean, he confirmed. He started a couple. The Fed chairman a couple weeks ago, two, three, or two weeks ago, talking about how they were going to, you know, continue to be more aggressive. Remember, he said in his testimony to Congress that he, you know, he really loved Chairman Volcker and what he did. And he said, basically, said we're well, going to do whatever it takes to tame inflation. And then he said it again uh, last week, and then reiterated it again this week. Uh, they're going to go 50 basis points in, in May, and, pr- and most people now are saying they'll probably go that way in, in January. And you know, the bond market is, is obviously rates have moved up. They're singing a much different story than, than the stock market is right now. And uh, we all know from, uh, you know, if it passes any uh, prologue, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the bond market is usually one that's right. And therefore, those higher interest rates, I think, uh, at some point before long, are going to come back and hurt the market and, 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 and cause some of these tech stocks to pull back again.
1: So, so technology has been a huge focus for, for obvious reasons, because they have been volatile and they have been maybe the place that investors have gone to in, in times of kind of dip environments like we're seeing right now. I wonder about the energy trade. Uh, we, we just heard Kayla Tausche report about this idea that, that we might be kind of at least moving towards solidifying more relationships, especially in the natural gas front with our partners over in Europe. Is that energy trade still attractive to you right now, even, the, even after the run it's seen since the pandemic lows back in 2020?
2: yeah I think, you know it, the, the thing is i you know i I, I turned bullish on the, on the group back in October of two thousand and twenty. I think it's got further to go i mean t- two weeks ago I, I you know I saw that the energy stocks were and especially crude oil had gotten ridiculously overbought but only on a short term basis and sure enough it came from 130 back down below 100 but now it's stabilizing again above uh, you know about $110 now and uh you know this thing going on with with Russia is is not going to end anytime soon i mean you, you, you the, the the whole us talk about ceasefire that seems to have been pushed to the to the side uh putin's not i i hate to say it but i don't think putin's going anywhere we're looking at many, many months uh, of this. That means the sanctions are going to stand for a long time. And as great as, as, as Europe is making these moves uh, to be less dependent on Russia, this is not something they can do very quickly uh, and, and any kind of significant way and not even by next winter. That's a big problem. So uh, I do think oil prices are going to stay elevated. That means the energy stocks should, should do well. And, uh, you know, they've had a little, that little bit of a pullback last week. Uh, I think they've got more upside as we go through the rest of this year. All right, Matt.
1: And before we let you go, what's the scariest part of the market for you right now? Where, where would you stay away from? What, what gives you the most kind of trepidation?
2: Well, I mean, that's the the way to stay away from the the thing that really concerns me the most is during this rally in the stock market, credit spreads, although we initially came down a little bit, they they, within two or three days, they stabilized. They have not come down anywhere near as much uh, as the stock market has rallied. Uh, Therefore, that, you know, again, this is another area where the credit markets are telling us that things aren't as good as the stock market is telling us. And that's that's maybe the biggest concern for me right now.
1: All right. Matt Maley, Miller Tabak. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend.
2: You too, Don, thank you.
1: When we come back on the show, it was one of those so-called pandemic plays. So why is Instacart slashing its valuation? That story is coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, check out some of this morning's biggest pre-market movers in the S&P 500. VF Corp CF Industries continuing a momentous run for some of those fertilizer names on the heels of the Ukraine war with Russia. Accenture also a big gainer to the upside, about 2% gains. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
0: Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy. only at McDonald's.
4: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's let's get back to Brussels now and our own Kayla Tausche, senior White House correspondent. Kayla, we just heard from President Biden. What were the headlines? What was the big takeaway? We got an idea about the liquefied natural gas idea. But but take us through what the comments were now that they are on the record.
3: Yeah, Dom, uh, the U.S. and the EU announcing a task force on energy security. President Biden touting the co- cooperation between transatlantic allies on this effort. But he noted that the effort is not just focused on transitioning away from Russian natural gas. It's on transitioning away from natural gas entirely. President Biden saying that he understands that there will be costs associated with that transition for Europe and for other countries around the world, but says that it is an important one. Uh, for the climate and the economy going forward. He also made an announcement, perhaps less expected than the energy announcement, about a new agreement on privacy and data transfer. This had been a long-running thorn in the side uh, of the U.S.-EU relationship to try to strike a deal on transferring consumer data uh, to make it accessible with uh, the right privacy protections for the use by companies and governments. These negotiations had been going on for years, and a deal had eluded both sides, but President Biden saying that the two sides have reached a deal on data transferring, and he says that there will be uh, unprecedented protections for consumers. We await the exact details of what that deal is, but it could have implications for technology companies. Dom?
1: All right, Kayla Tausch, you live uh, in Brussels with the latest there from President Biden and his counterparts in the EC. Thank you very much. Futures right now, by the way, indicating again a very, very muted open right now. Stability in the face of a very volatile week. The Dow is implied lower by just about 19 points. The S&P roughly six points and the Nasdaq trade down by 35. Let's get a check on some of today's top headlines. Sylvana Hanao is here with those. Good morning, Sylvana. Hey,
5: Dom. Good morning. Well, search teams are still going through the wreckage of the China Eastern Airlines Boeing 737-800 that went down in a mountainous area of southern China Monday Crews have not yet found the second black box, which is thought to contain the flight data recorder. Officials say the airplane's cockpit voice recorder was found on Wednesday and will be analyzed at a lab. Bed Bath & Beyond is reportedly nearing a settlement active with activist investor Ryan Cohen. Bloomberg says the deal would include three new directors appointed to the retailer's board. Cohen's firm has disclosed a 9.8 percent stake in the company, as is calling for change, including looking at strategic options for the Buy Buy Baby division. Instacart says it's slashing its valuation by about 40 percent to roughly $24 billion from $39 billion. In a statement, the company points to market turbulence that has impacted both public and private tech companies. Instacart was a so-called pandemic play as more people used its services when they didn't want to be going into grocery stores. But now the company has been dealing with slower growth. Dom, I don't know. I mean, I still like going to the supermarket, but... It's nice to get your groceries delivered.
1: I've always liked going to the grocery store, even during the depths of the pandemic. I find it's a very soothing exercise. It's therapeutic. Absolutely.
5: It's very therapeutic.
1: All right. Sylvana Hinal, thank you very much for those headlines. Coming up on the show, your big money movers, including pot stocks, popping on Congress, taking the next step towards federally legalizing marijuana. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
6: (laughs)
1: Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got Tilray. Shares of the cannabis producer popping in extended training after jumping 21 percent in the regular session just yesterday. Pot stocks were higher across the board after the House of Representatives announced they would vote next week on a bill to federally legalize marijuana. An earlier measure cleared the House two years ago, but was stalled in the then Republican controlled Senate. Those shares of Tilray up about 16 percent right now. Stock number two is NIO, the Chinese electric vehicle maker reporting better than expected fourth quarter revenues, but deliveries did miss forecasts. NIO, which began trading in Hong Kong earlier this month, expects to deliver roughly 25,000 vehicles this quarter, which is also short of analyst estimates. Those NIO shares do about five and a half percent in the pre-market trade. And then finally, you've got Netflix shares. It's buying another video game company as it looks to create new revenue streams. Netflix is acquiring Boss Fight Entertainment for an undisclosed sum. Boss Fight was founded by former Zynga employees. It's known for its mobile game Dungeon Boss and for Android and iOS devices on those platforms for that same game. Those shares for Netflix relatively flat in the pre-market trade. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Francis. Hey
7: Dom, happy Friday to you. Yeah, we start this morning with new details. As the January 6th House Committee is in possession of text messages between former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Jenny Thomas, conservative activist and wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. According to a source familiar with the investigation, the messages discuss keeping then President Donald Trump in office. The texts were at a trove of documents that Meadows turned over to the panel before he stopped cooperating with the investigation. A committee spokesperson declined to comment on the content of the text. CNN first reported that the January 6th panel obtained the messages. The Washington Post and CBS obtained copies of the conversation and reviewed them. Both outlets say they were then confirmed by five people who have seen the committee's documents. NBC News has not reviewed the text messages. The 29 messages took place between November of 2020 and mid-January of 2021, according to the reports. In one text after President Joe Biden was projected the winner of the 2020 election, Thomas reportedly told Meadows he should encourage Trump not to concede. NBC News has reached out to Mark Meadows' attorney and Jenny Thomas for comment. Miami Beach is taking more emergency measures to help crack down on spring break chaos. The city declaring a state of emergency earlier this week. And after a weekend of violence, it's now banning some alcohol sales. This is on top of a nightly curfew from 12 a.m. Thursday to 6 a.m. Monday morning. Under the new ban, liquor stores and drug stores will have to stop selling alcohol by 6 p.m. Thursday. Friday and Saturday. It does not affect sales at bars and restaurants. Now to your Sweet 16 highlights. Duke had a fight from behind against Texas Tech, but the Blue Devils turned up the flames in the second half. Paolo Bancaro led all scores with 22, and coach Mike Krzyzewski gets his 100th tournament victory. Duke wins it 78-73. And a bad night to be a number one seed. The Houston Cougars led wire-to-wire to, wire to beat top-ranked Arizona 72-60. And the Arkansas faithful chanting Woo Pig Zooey! after a monumental win. Gonzaga was the number one overall team in the tournament, but the Razorbacks completed that hard-fought upset 74-68. to Villanova had the hot hand against Michigan. The Wolverines put up a fight, but the Wildcats walked out with a 63-55 win. And then there's the women's Sweet 16 that tips off tonight. After beating number two Iowa, the Crate Blue Jays look to fly high against Iowa State. Dom, for Friday,
1: we got you covered with those headlines. They call it madness for a reason in March. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. You too. Coming up on the show, Goldman Sachs, Global Head of Commodities Research, Jeff Curry. He will be our special guest. He's coming up next. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice, Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Wall Street looking to close the books on another volatile week of trading. Futures right now are stable. Breaking news, President Biden and his EU counterparts striking a deal on getting more natural gas to Europe. It's just one of many topics we'll discuss with Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry. He'll join us live coming up. Plus our exclusive weekly report on insider buying trends. Five very well known names making some big time bets. It's Friday, March 25th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get straight to that market story right now because it's been a volatile week, but futures right now are showing some stability. The Dow is currently just about flat, implied at the opening bell, just down about 10 points. The S&P would open lower by about four points, and the Nasdaq down by just 25. And in the grand scheme of things, very muted compared to what we've seen over the course of the last week or two. Treasury yields also showing some signs of stability, but ticking slightly higher, especially on the long side of the curve, with the 10-year in particular. It's now a shade above 2.35%. The two-year Treasury note yield, just about 2.15% there. But the 30-year long bond, just a hair below 2.51%, a slight tick lower for that long, long end of the Treasury yield curve. Cryptocurrency prices also in focus here. Bitcoin prices are gaining just marginally, just a hair above 44000 for Bitcoin prices. Ether up about one third of one percent, $3,124 the last trade there. Now let's take a look at over the last week. There have been certain parts of the technology trade that have seen some signs of life. Now, if you take a look over the last week, the Vanek Vector Semiconductor ETF over the last week did gain up about 2.5%. It's been volatile. And in just yesterday's trade, we saw the likes of NVIDIA and Intel do very well there. Also, check out what's happening with cloud computing type stocks. They've also been volatile as well. If you look at one of the big ETFs that tracks that, the Global X cloud computing ETF ticker CLOU, just down fractionally in the pre-market trade, but up 3% over the last week. So again, cloud computing a focus there. And then, of course, cybersecurity stocks, Very, very much a focus here for traders, given the possible cyber warfare that could erupt out of Russia's war with Ukraine. The First Trust Nasdaq cybersecurity ETF ticker CIBR flat on the pre-market trade, but up about 4 percent over the course of the last week. And then Chinese Internet. In the Chinese trading session, they've all been weaker today. Right now, the crane shares China Internet ETF ticker KWEB, KWEB, is off 4.5%. Remember, it's seen a very big bounce over the last week or so as people bought up some of those beleaguered Chinese stocks. But remember, in the grand scheme of things, this ETF has still lost nearly two-thirds of its value over the course of the last year. Coming up on the show, Goldman Sachs energy and commodities guru Jeff Curry will join us with that all-important energy trade. Plus, inflation, rising food and labor costs are hitting the restaurant business very, very hard. We will talk to the owner of the acclaimed New York City restaurant Le Bernardin, Eric Repair. He's coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, some of your other top stories. The European Union is taking aim at big technology again Leaders are said to be finalizing a, a law called the Digital Markets Act, which would impact app stores, online advertising, and messaging as well. It's being hailed as the most sweeping piece of legislation since the EU enacted rules to protect online data and privacy back in 2018. The US Justice Department has indicted four Russian nationals. The DOJ says the individuals worked for the Russian government and committed cyber attacks against hundreds of energy companies worldwide. And Southwest is launching a new ticket category that allows free cancellation and same-day flight changes. The move comes as the airline looks to boost sales overall. Southwest shares will be in focus this morning. Stay tuned, to you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Check out what's happening with the futures market right now. The Dow Jones is implied lower by just about 15 points. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot. So stability there. The S&P 500 lower by roughly four points. Again, very stable. And the NASDAQ down by 21. It has been, in recent weeks, the most volatile part of the major U.S. indices. So even that is trying to close out a very volatile couple of weeks here with some stability, at least for now. Time now for your weekly exclusive Insider Buying segment where we highlight the top five stocks being bought by the most with their C-suite level executives with their own money. As always, the data comes with our thanks to the InsiderScore.com team. And as always, we are counting you down from number five to number one. So number five is AutoZone. Get in the zone. $503,000 buy-in by the chief information officer That's her first buy insider-wise for AutoZone since joining the company. Number four is Bumble, a nearly $1 million buy by a board member, but the buy was actually done by her husband, legendary hedge fund manager John Griffin of Blue Ridge Capital. They also bought last May as well, so this is one to watch. Bumble, uh, the stock is down about 46% or so in just the last six months. Number three is DocuSign, a $5 million buy by CEO Dan Springer. If it sounds familiar, it should. This is Springer's third big insider buy in just the last four months. Now, remember, DocuSign has been on a downtrend markedly so since the depths of the pandemic and the highs that came along on the heels of it. He has, by the way, been a very aggressive buyer of his own stock. Number two is Natera, a $5 million buy by a board member in this beaten up diagnostics name. Shares, by the way, are down 60% this year. This board member was a seller last year. So this is a real reversal. And the most insider buying this week is a big name in a big meme stock that we've been talked about. Number one is GameStop. Maybe no surprise there. A $10 million buy by Ryan Cohen his first buy of the stock since December of 2020. He's got nearly a 12% stake now in the video game retailer. Remember, Ryan Cohen is the chairman of GameStop. Those shares are up about 45% or so this week. So there you go. The names, 5 to 1, AutoZone, Bumble, DocuSign, Natera, and GameStop. Now, we do this almost every Friday, and it's a segment you will only see here on CNBC's Worldwide Exchange, or go to CNBC Pro to sign up today. All of this information is there for our subscribers as well. Again, cnbc.com slash pro for all that insider buying action. Now to a major topic for companies, consumers, and investors as well. It's raw material costs. Everything from gasoline to wheat to sugar, you name it, not coming down off historic highs anytime soon Nowhere is this possibly more important than consumers' wallets and businesses that have to either pass along or eat those costs. Joining me now with some very unique insight now is Eric Repair. He's the chef and co-owner of the acclaimed Michelin three-star New York City restaurant Le Bernardin, and along with his wife Sandra, is being honored, by the way, at the City Harvest Gala next month, where he also serves as the vice chairman. They are doing a lot of great things on trying to feed the most vulnerable in the New York metro area. Eric, good morning to you, sir. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Please take us through what exactly it's been like for a restaurant owner now that we have tried to emerge from the COVID pandemic.
8: Well, it has been um, very challenging, as you can imagine, First of all, uh, we reopened at 25% occupancy a year ago, and then, uh, finally, by the summer, we were able to uh, be at full capacity with a very strict protocol. Uh, What was very difficult also to to do at reopening was to hire uh, employees. A lot of the workforce uh, disappeared and uh, didn't come back to New York City. And then we are dealing today uh, with uh, inflation, which is uh, pretty substantial. Uh, And on some items, we we see some enormous um, uh, surge in prices.
1: In the restaurant hospitality industry, food and labor costs are together known as prime costs for hotels and restaurants because they make up the bulk of the cost structure for a restaurant business With that kind of right-left combo in terms of being beaten up by both, how exactly is a high-end restaurant owner and manager supposed to navigate through this? Are you raising prices for your customers?
8: So we we did raise prices. We try to be fairly reasonable, and we are uh, making sure that we are not too expensive uh, for the the luxury products that we are. However, we, uh, we raise our prices by about 10 percent to 15 and, percent. Uh, and the rest, uh, we, we, we take care of it ourselves.
1: So in that, in that kind of a situation, are you looking for some kind of relief down the line? Uh, is there any way that a restaurant owner can try to protect themselves from this issue? Uh, I understand that food costs are food costs. How about the labor situation? How, how exactly do you then go about attracting people to come in there? Do you just have to pay them more or are you you trying to be more creative with some of the compensation and benefits packages that you offer potential employees?
8: Well, it's a combination of both. I mean, for sure, we we are raising the prices, especially of the small salaries. Uh, The minimum wage is at $15 in New York City, but you cannot hire anyone in our industry right now as at less than $20 an hour, that's for sure. And uh, so that's uh, a fact. And then the management, uh, because we don't have enough employees, we we have to uh, increase the salaries of the management substantially. And that uh, also, it's uh, uh, much different than pre-pandemic. So therefore, our payroll is much, much higher than before, of course.
1: And Eric, before we let you go, we saw some better sales trends with regard to the luxury side of things for Darden restaurants, which, of course, owns not just the Olive Garden, but Capital Grill. They're seeing Capital Grill traffic, their high end do better. Are, are you seeing better traffic at, at, your, at your restaurants because it is on the upper end of the spectrum?
8: Yes, the restaurant is extremely busy. It's, it's actually overwhelming because, again, uh, the lack of uh, employees, but uh, I am very optimistic that very soon we will be uh, running normally and uh, hopefully the inflation will, uh, will stop at one point.
1: All right, Eric Reparat, Le Bernardin, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll come back and update us on your business as well.
8: Thank you very much.
1: All right, oil prices, part of that story we were just talking about, holding steady today with WTI US benchmark crude trading around $112 a barrel and Brent roughly $119. We've pulled back from some of those over the last couple of hours. Supply concerns are easing for now as European Union members are split on imposing an embargo on Russian oil and gas. Just in the past hour, President Biden announcing a deal to increase shipments of liquefied natural gas, LNG, to Europe as part of a longer term initiative to help the continent reduce reliance on Russian energy assets. Let's talk more about all of this with Jeff Curry. He's the global head of commodities research over at Goldman Sachs. Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you here this morning. I mean, we've spoken so much in the past about the notion that commodity markets are volatile. Is this a regime now of higher prices? I hate to use the word because we've used it in the past. Is this a super cycle?
9: Hey, we've been forecasting a super cycle now since October of 2020. So, you know, more than 18 months into this. So this is not something new. We've been in it for a while. But I think the investors need to wrap their head around that we're only beginning here. This is not the end of it. And, you know, we look at investor participation, open interest in commodity markets collapsing, Um, investor outflow. We have specs um, position declining. That's in commodities. Equities, energy equities, free cash flow yields tell you they're severely undervalued. In some cases, high as 30 percent. Bond yields in the energy space widening right now. So the bond, you know, the, 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 the debt credit spreads. Every single measure you look at tells you the investors are going. But as you just pointed out, this is just beginning at this point. And the only way you're solving this problem on a longer term basis, you need to get capital in into space, make investments, be able to grow supply. We can't do this right at this point right now due to impediments, whether if it's ESG or people just afraid of the higher prices. The answer to your questions: This thing is just getting started.
1: So, 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 Jeff, if this is just the early stages, if we are in the early innings of this so-called commodity super cycle when exactly do we start to see enough pressure being brought on the market enough pressure being brought on the overall companies in there that they will have to deploy capital not just back to shareholders but to drill for oil and gas or is that the whole world just in, in its move to clean energy maybe making these companies a little bit more apprehensive about that kind of you know drill baby drill mentality.
9: It, it has to start with the investors opening up the purse springs making it very clear to these companies they need to invest they need to have access to the capital i like to say it's not about the supply and demand of the barrels of oil it's about the supply and demand of the dollars used to create those barrels of oil and right now we have significant impediments but let's say let's not just all blame it on esg let's not forget that two years ago or 23 months ago Oil prices were negative, and the losses in this sector were nothing short than epic, and that's still in people's memory. So we need to see a good track record. To answer that question about when do the purse strings open up, let's go back to the previous super cycle. Prices moved up substantially in 03 and on to 04. It wasn't until 06 that the purse strings opened up substantially, and it began in late 05 with the equities moving. So, you know, when you look at these histories of these super cycles, it takes a while for investors to come into this space. They want to see a track record. They want to know that the coast is clear. So, you know, we're in the process of creating that track record with good returns, um, but we have yet to see the follow through.
1: You know, Jeff, when you look at the, the, the overall coverage universe that you have, I mean, commodities can be any number of things. We've been focusing so much on the hard commodities, the things that we mine for, the things that we drill for, like oil, like nickel, like the, the other base metals, and there's the soft commodity side of things. We, we've seen a little bit more stability there. So as you look from a trading perspective, where do you see more upside in the coming months? Is it going to be in some of those agricultural commodities, or do you think it's the hards that are going to be driving a lot of that upside potential for commodities overall?
9: actually there's so much focus on oil and gas in an energy supply disruption in comparisons of the current situation in russia with like the oil supply shocks of the 70s what people are failing to recognize is what's going on on the non-energy side not only the hard commodities as you mentioned, like nickel and aluminum and so forth but it's the soft commodities This disruption in the non-energy commodities is the largest we have ever seen. In the case of wheat, it's roughly 25% of global exports. In the metals, it's somewhere around 15%. Just to put this in perspective, the oil supply shock is maybe 1.5% of global supplies. And we repeat that. In wheat, it's 25% of global exports. This is very large. I'm in the Middle East right now, and I can tell you, places like North Africa are big importers of wheat. Um, And this is going to put a lot of stress on the system. Let me also remind you, the last time we had food prices at these levels, um, we ended up with, you know, it helped kick off the Arab Spring, which culminated in other disruptions in energy. So this is a very serious issue. People need to be focused on it. The upside in both all the non-energies, I think, is substantial at this point, particularly aluminum, copper. Um, These markets are under it. So, you know, you ask me which one is likely to be the tightest. You know, I put um, wheat and corn right up there. Um, You know, the upside and, you know, corn, you know, you could potentially be spiking up to, you know, $10 a bushel type level. So, you know, the risk here and and the the agriculture commodities, I think, is very significant.
1: So, so Jeff, I, I mean, there's no doubt your view here is that there is there is possibly more extreme upside for some of these given the supply demand dynamic. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you if there was a base case scenario that you're referring to, but then a bear case scenario where you see a lot of these things reversing course. What would have to happen for that thesis of yours right now to come under pressure and we see those commodity prices actually fall?
9: The biggest risk here is that the supply shortages do so much damage to demand. Remember, demand destruction is not prices going high and killing off demand. If you think about it this way, it's supply coming out of the market. The demand tied to that supply has to be reduced and the prices rise to the point of the last consumer still standing. That's what demand destruction is. But if you pull out all that supply and you create a recession, that could get you your pullback. But I want to emphasize in the 1970 super cycle, we saw three recessions, one in 1970, another one in 74, and another one in 79, 80. But what happened to the prices it just went like this went like that. You keep going up. What happened to the super cycle in 2008 and 2009? Um, You had a big cyclical pullback, but prices rebounded right back up. So the, the biggest risk to the view near term, or I, and by the way, I'm not going to say we put a high probability on it. You know, our view is no recession, but it would be that kind of damage done to demand due to supply disruptions creating a pullback in prices. But that is, you know, we aren't seeing any evidence. We're far away from demand destruction levels. You know, at this point, the risks are still to the upside. But that would be the type of risk that creates a pullback, but it'd be likely temporary as it was in the super cycle in the 70s and the super cycle in the 2000s. And um, we do not put a high probability on
1: it right now. You're a busy man, Jeff Curry. Quite possibly the most volatile parts of the market right now—the commodity side of things. Uh, thank you very much for your thoughts. We appreciate it. Have, uh, have safe travels, Jeff. Coming up to, deck for the show: What investors need to know on this last trading day of the week. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Now to the latest fighting in Ukraine. NBC's Molly Hunter joins us now with the live from Lviv with the latest there. Good morning, Molly.
6: Dominic, good morning. We are heavily focused once again on Mariupol, that city in the southeast. We just got uh, sad news out of that city, more sad news, I should say, than what we're getting every day. So that drama theater that was bombed by the Russians last week that clearly had children written uh, in the sand outside, clearly visible from above. And we believe there were over a thousand people sheltering inside. Well, the city council has just come out with a statement. They say they believe about 300 people died inside. Now talking to people who have fled Mariupol, Dom, uh, the drama theater was the safe place. The drama theater was the backup plan. If their own basements failed, if their backup plans failed they went to the drama theater. It was also the meeting point for private cars to get out of Mariupol. Now, we hear from the Ukrainian government there are two new humanitarian corridors leaving Mariupol today, Uh, one to Zaporizhia from Berdyansk, uh, and then the other from a different village also to Berdyansk. Berdyansk, of course, though, that coastal town outside of Mariupol where the Ukrainians shelled that Russian landing ship yesterday. So if that city gets too dangerous to kind of move people through, people evacuating out of Mariupol are in real trouble. The other thing we've just learned again, from the Ukrainian side, we've not independently confirmed, is that there are 48 buses waiting in Berdyansk, waiting to go in and pick up civilians, and they are being blocked. There is also a fuel truck there, Dom, because right now the only way to get out of Mariupol to a place where it's safe To get on evacuation buses is in private cars of course but because that city has been besieged bombarded starved out for the last month they're all running out of gas so the humanitarian corridor agreement right now allows for fuel to go in people to fill up their cars get in those private cars and then get out they're also saying that humanitarian aid has also not been able uh, to get into that city as the situation inside just becomes more and more dire by the day dominic
1: the, the images there are just, just shocking right now. Molly Hunter, stay, stay safe out there and, and, and please be, be, be careful. Now back to the markets here. Joining us now is Patrick Fruzzetti, managing director of Rose Advisors over at Hightower. Uh, Patrick, I mean, Molly Hunter's report and the images we showed are tough. Is the war between Russia and Ukraine the, the biggest factor we have to consider right now that's driving markets or is it something more?
4: Well, I think it's a part of it because, you know, at the end of the day, war is inflationary and the Ukraine-Russia conflict came at perhaps the worst time as the COVID-induced inflation was was already climbing significantly. You know, um, when you look at supply chain issues and you take a country like, um, you know, a commodity producing country like Russia um, out of the equation, that's not something that's rectified overnight. Um, but it's not the only thing, you know, you know. I, I don't really view this as a, a buy-the-dip type of environment. I mean, there's a clear rotation in the market. There's a change uh, in leadership, I believe, that's taking place. I mean, look, energy has doubled over the last two years, yet it's barely 4% of the S&P. Um, so I think there's a number of factors. Clearly, the Fed um, and, and their actions going forward will be at the forefront. But Ukraine Russia is, is clearly a significant um, factor when you look at inflation going forward.
1: So, so Patrick, if, if that's the case, if this, in, in your words, is not a buy the dip environment, should yeah. you be selling the rallies? Should you be holding pat or, or are you buying in other parts of the market that may be more
4: attractive? Well, it depends what you own i think if 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 you have um broad exposure to uh, you know the wide indices, perhaps you should be selling some exposure because they're overexposed to sectors like tech. but you know there are definitely opportunities uh, out there you know for example um you know we've You know, we've been big owners of uh, of gold over the past couple of years. Uh, We think it should be a part of your portfolio, and I think it helps to hedge the debasement of the dollar. But even when you look at companies, for example, you know, we really like the class one rails that are out there today.
1: So class one rails, meaning which ones, which ones in particular are, are the ones that are attractive to you?
4: Yeah, the most attractive one today, I think, is Canadian Pacific. You know, shareholders approved um, the acquisition of Kansas City Southern late last year, you know, and, and Andrew Carnegie, one said, you know, we have over 100,000 miles of steel that bind the nation together. Well, the reality is it now combines all of North America together. And Canadian Pacific has rails running from Canada all the way to Mexico. It's a play on onshoring. Um, with higher energy prices. They stand to benefit. They have a lower carbon footprint. And by the way, in an inflationary environment, in a consolidating industry like the class one rails out there today, um, they have a lot more pricing power. So we really like, uh, you know, a company like Canadian Pacific uh, in in this environment.
1: All right. So the call from Patrick Frizzetti is gold and the rails, especially Canadian Pacific. Thank you very much, Patrick. We appreciate it. Have a nice weekend, sir.
4: Tom, thanks for having me.
1: All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's check futures on the way out here. We have, again, a stable market. We flipped slightly green for the Dow. It's implied higher by 37. The Nasdaq lower by just two points. The S&P higher by two. Again, Stable to close out the week. It's been volatile. That does it for us here. Squawkbox picks up the market coverage Come up next. Have a nice weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.